Creative Babble. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Javier. A quick note before we start, you're about to listen to a major update on the Stalker series. And if you're new here, you might want to start with part one, I realized that all the update stalker episodes are scattered all over the podcast feed. So what I did was I created a new podcast feed just for this series. You can find the stalker only podcast episodes on pretend plus on Apple podcasts or the stalker collection on Patreon. Everything is in there so you won't miss a thing. Okay, let's get on with it because this episode is a doozy. Thank you. Please be seated. This is Judge Suzanne Cohen, who is presiding over the settlement conference in the case of Tanya and Rick Fernandez versus the state of Arizona. All right, Mr. and Ms. Fernandez, if you'd like to come forward. Good morning, Your Honor, and I have a on behalf of the state for both defendants. All right. Good morning, Your Honor. Jessica Hernandez on behalf of defendant number two, Tanya Fernandez, who is present out of custody this morning. And good morning, Your Honor. Robert Casey. I'm an attorney for Ricky Fernandez, defendant one. Who's Everyone is at this settlement conference. Nia Batia, the state prosecutor, both Tanya and Rick, plus their attorneys, and of course, Judge Cohen. All right. Good morning, Mr. and Ms. Fernandez. My name is Judge Cohen. I have been asked by your lawyers and the prosecutor to conduct what's called a settlement conference. This 45-minute session is jam-packed with pure gold. Here's a sneak peek. What doesn't make sense is why would I go to the doctor if I was stalking her? Why would I go and tell her about all of these things that were happening? Why would I? Why would I go and tell her if I was doing it? It is. I, I absolutely. I hear you, and I think with the with the volume of evidence, I think the prosecutor's argument is going to be for attention. <sighs> But before we get into all this, which we will, and trust me, it is riveting. I was glued to my headphones listening to this entire tape. It's been a while since I've released a proper update on the Fernandez case. Not a whole lot has happened in the nine months since the indictment on January 25th, 2023, where Tanya and Rick Fernandez were both arrested and charged with six felonies combined. It's been a series of delays after delays after delays. Here's audio from a pre-trial conference which took place earlier this summer. Yes, I did get a report in uh, one of the cases that indicates there has not been an offer made. And I'm wondering if that's the case in both cases and where we are generally. For Mr. Fernandez, there's been no offer yet. We still have uh, at least 10 interviews to go as well, Your Honor. But both defense attorneys filed motions to delay because they needed more time and the state of Arizona didn't extend the plea deal. Uh, plea negotiations are ongoing. They are ongoing. Okay. Any indication she plans to make an offer? Uh, she indicates she will uh, touch base with defense uh, in the near future, but uh, nothing more than that. So that's been the big update this year. Just a big old scoop of hurry up and wait. 
The most notable thing that happened this summer was that the Fernandezes forfeited their right to a speedy trial, and their attorneys filed a motion to designate this case complex. In other words, they argued that this isn't your run-of-the-mill case. They needed extra time both in and out of the courtroom to interview expert witnesses, much like a murder trial or something like that. Yeah, they are going all out. So now we're inching closer to the December 6, 2023 trial. Anything can happen. Will the state of Arizona ever offer a plea deal? Will the Fernandezes take it? Or do they think that their story is convincing enough to risk it all in front of a jury? Believe it or not, you might get some answers to those questions in this episode. It is just simply absurd that it's gotten this far. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Before we get into this settlement conference, first let's talk about this transcript that I pulled from the courts. This document shows that the state of Arizona made Tanya Fernandez a plea offer. Tanya Fernandez must plead guilty to a class 6 felony, which by the way, it's the least severe of all the felonies, class 1 being the most serious. But they offered her a plea deal, but does that mean that they'll drop the other two felonies? We'll get into that in a bit. In this document, there's also a transcript of an interview with Tanya and Rick's attorney and the detective on the case. I don't have the audio of this, so I'll have to read it to you. This interview, which took place on September 13, 2023, sheds insight into the defense's strategy. In this document, Jessica Hernandez, Tanya's attorney, makes the case that Detective Anthony Hardina failed to identify who created the Instagram accounts in question. As a refresher, the harassing messages started on Instagram. There are dozens of accounts, and when Detective Hardina requested a search warrant from Instagram, the IP address from those accounts matched the IP address from Tanya's personal account. But remember, Detective Hardina's search stopped there. He did not get a warrant to seize their devices, so it's not entirely clear which device was sending these messages. The defense attorney pounced on this. When asked, quote, is there anything in the information you received from any of the warrants that proves who in the home using the IP addresses created these accounts? Detective Hardina's answer was no. When asked, who's doing this? Detective Hardina said, quote, my personal opinion is that someone in the house is doing it. But is there anything that specifically says this person? No, I can't tell you which one of those people are doing it, unquote. Remember, in a court of law, the defendant in a criminal case is not required to prove innocence. The burden is on the prosecution to prove the defendant's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Tanya's attorney described her client as kind, loving, smart, hardworking. She's involved in her church and she's dedicated to her family. She's a full-time caregiver for her disabled child. These qualities, by the way, are what they call mitigating factors. When a person is convicted of a crime, the court usually considers any mitigating circumstances to reduce the harshness of their punishment. 
Tanya's attorney argues that her client has a clean criminal record. She also mentioned that Tanya's family and employer value her greatly. Hmm, Tanya has a job? That's news to me. The defense concludes that taking all this into consideration, the fact that the detective does not know who committed these crimes and that there's no evidence to prove who created the social media accounts, that the state should just dismiss the charges. All right, so now we're all caught up. There's a deal on the table and Tanya is refusing to take it. So now let's listen in on the Fernandez's settlement conference. Good morning, Mr. and Ms. Fernandez. My name is Judge Cohen. I have been asked by your lawyers and the prosecutor to conduct what's called a settlement conference. Have you ever had a settlement conference? No. All right, so let me talk to you about what a settlement conference is. First of all, never my intention to force you to do anything. It is your absolute right to go to trial and have the state prove their case against you beyond a reasonable doubt. How I view my role is to talk to you about the risks, if, what happens if you go to trial. You have two very good lawyers. I'm sure they've explained it to you, but sometimes folks want to hear from a judge. Settlement conferences are very important. It's a chance for the state to offer a deal and avoid taking this thing to trial. Trials are expensive for the courts, and they take up a lot of time. There's not enough courthouses, first of all, or judges to try every case that comes through the system. The truth is that trials are rare. About 94% of felony convictions at a state level are settled with a plea bargain. That means that deals are struck between the prosecutor and the defense. Typically, the defense admits guilt in exchange for lesser jail time, lesser charge, yada, yada, yada. Plea bargains allow the courts to clear cases faster and avoid trial costs. The point of a plea bargain is to allow the court to just clear all their cases faster and avoid expensive trials. And in this case, we have one offer that we know of, and that's for Tanya Fernandez. Plead guilty to a class six felony, the least serious of all the felonies. If trials are expensive for a court system, can you imagine how costly it is for Rick and Tanya? I mean, these are middle-class people with a house full of adult kids, two with special needs, and they both have to pay for their own attorneys. That's two attorneys, court fees, and that's not even including the cost of retaining expert witnesses, which can cost north of thousands of dollars each. We're nine months into this legal battle, and the pressure is adding up. I'm sure a plea deal sounds pretty attractive right about now, but that's not what's happening. Let's listen. Here's Judge Cohen again. I have been in and around this courthouse for over 20 years, so I've seen a lot of things. I do not have a crystal ball. I cannot guarantee you what will happen at trial, but I have a pretty good feel for how things go. So I'll just give you my insight, but at the end of the day, it's entirely up to you what you do. So I'm sure you know what you're charged with, but let's just talk about it, okay? So you're charged with a class five felony and two class six felonies. By the way, the class six felonies are for the aggravated harassment charges, meaning that the Fernandeses actively targeted Dr. Gresman and her husband. Remember, you heard on this podcast that they had someone call the Department of Child Protective Services on the Gresmans. They filed a complaint with the medical board on Dr. Gresman. They even reached out to me to literally air their grievances. All right. Now, because you have no prior felony convictions, if you are um, convicted as charged, you are probation eligible. A class five felony, if you were to be sentenced to prison, the range is a half a year to two and a half years in prison. For a class six felony, and I'll explain a class six is a little weird, but for a class six felony, it's a third of the year to two years. The judge explains that a class six felony, the lesser of all the charges, 
could be designated a misdemeanor if they serve probation. So again, if you're convicted, you can get probation or the court could sentence you to prison or as a term of probation, the court could sentence you to jail up to one year per count. So jail is local right here behind us. Now, let's talk about this because many people use the word jail and prison interchangeably. However, jail is usually small and a short-term facility, whereas prisons are larger and more long-term facilities. Do I think you'd go to prison? No, I don't. Um, Now, can I guarantee that? No, but I, I think it would be ridiculous if some judge were to send you to prison if you were convicted. The judge reminds the Fernandezes that if they take the classics felony deal, they can guarantee a misdemeanor. But she warns them if they don't take the deal, and this does go to trial, that that classics felony will remain a felony on their records. So that's the benefit of the plea is um, guaranteed probation. The state's not asking for any jail time. Generally speaking, when the state's not asking for jail, judges don't tend to give jail. Um, and then you can earn the misdemeanor. So that's the deal. The question is, will the Fernandeses take it? Now, you're both your lawyers say they want a dismissal and the prosecutor, she's not doing that. Okay. So you've got two options, go to trial and take your chances at trial or take a plea. Let me talk to you about the evidence, what I see and what I told the lawyers when I had a chance to talk with them. This is what I call a triable case, which means You've got a chance of walking away, but I don't think it's as big of a chance as you think it is. I think there's a better chance you get convicted. The judge isn't mincing words here. She says that the state prosecutor, Nia Batia, has a strong case. I've known Ms. Batia for a while. She's been in my court. I've been on the bench for 10 and a half years, so she's been on my court a lot. She's a good lawyer. And if she puts this case together, like she explained it to me in the settlement memo, and the case agent puts it together, like it's been explained to me by both all three lawyers and his interview, I, I think the jury they likely could convict you. Now, you've got some tribal issues, which is the IP address comes back to your house, but can they put either one of you sitting at the computer doing it? No. But the law has this thing called circumstantial evidence. There's direct evidence and there's circumstantial evidence. Direct evidence would be someone that came in and said, I saw you, Ms. Fernandez, typing that or creating that Instagram account. Or I saw you, sir, calling DCS and making a complaint against the I saw it with my own eyes. That's direct evidence. Okay. Circumstantial evidence is the fact that the your daughter was their patient, things that happened with the daughter, comments that you made, the fact that the IP address comes back to your house, the same IP address as your own Instagram account. That's what we call circumstantial evidence. Judge Cohen says that there's no difference between direct and circumstantial evidence. You don't say, oh, well, this is direct evidence, so that's better than circumstantial evidence. The jury's told that they consider it exactly the same and they give it the weight that it's deserved. And now the judge, just like many of you, throws her hands up in the air. I've got to tell you, I, I, I don't, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Who else would have done it? Your kids? I think you've already told the cops that your kids wouldn't have done it. It's not like somebody broke into your house and did it. That would be silly. So 
even if the jury says, well, yeah, they did it. They created this Instagram account. They called DCS. They did all of this. Then they're going to convict you. I mean, that's just where it is. And my understanding also is that there's a lot of tape of a podcast or something out there that isn't going to help. <laughs> that's me. Judge Cohen says that if she thought the state didn't have a case, that she would ask me about that to dismiss it. And I'm not telling her that. I'm, I didn't say it one bit. After the break, you're going to hear from both Tanya and Rick Fernandez, and I couldn't believe what they had to say. I'm not ready to make that decision because, like I said before, I don't want to plead to some. I don't want to plead guilty to something that I didn't do. That's after the break. Rick Fernandez was the first to address the judge. This would be a good opportunity to say, you know what? Maybe this thing has gotten a little too out of hand. What can I do to make things better? But instead, Rick doubles down on his preposterous conspiracy theories. I'll go first. Sure. Go ahead, sir. Um, the IP address mm-hmm. situation. The detective told me that this goes back to before we even knew the doctor. And I don't understand how that could be. And it's under my understanding that the prosecution hasn't given us all the evidence backing that up, showing where the IP addresses. Rick is talking about the Instagram subpoenas. We've heard the detective reference these subpoenas before, but the defense hasn't even seen this evidence. Is Rick implying that this evidence doesn't exist, that Detective Hardina just simply made this up? Here's the prosecutor, Nia Batia, with the state of Arizona. We are working on it. Um, we've been working together, so that's not a concern. It will happen. We're just working together to get that done. Um, with regard to the IP address, I understand what he's saying and what defense has requested. But again, I, we have no doubt that it will come back that it was to his IP address. I got something else to bring up. Mm-hmm. Detective Hardina, who's the case agent in this, we had we had a, a conversation, almost an hour long conversation, and we we talked a little bit before that too. But he told me he said your IP address can be hacked, but he said they would have to be really close to your house to do that. And this person that we're, uh, we're claiming did this to us, he took a picture from my driveway, took a picture of the sunrise from my driveway and sent it to me. But there's documentation that show that he is behind this. He, he responded to the cease and desist letter that my attorney sent to his personal email And he responded by saying, I can do whatever the hell I want. I call the shots. And on the podcast that you mentioned, there's two nurses in that in that interview. And one of them said, you know, um, this may be completely different. But she said there was some somebody on a bike in my driveway around midnight. And she goes, and I went out and spooked him, and he pedaled off. There, and she had gone through the same type of stuff that we had gone through with the 
stalking and the internet stuff. So I think Rick Fernandez thought it was a good idea to litigate these bizarre coincidences during the settlement conference, which is neither the time nor place. I'm surprised the judge and their attorneys allowed this to go on as long as it did, honestly. That that seems too coincidental to to just throw up in the air and say, well, it could happen. Well, you'd have to convince the jury of that. And from what I understand, there's no evidence that Mr. Gatsby had any part of this. And why would he? I mean, that's that's the other thing. Why? But yeah. why would we do what we've been accused of? Why would we start a criminal life at our age? He's retired. We're in our 50s. We have a clean record. Why would we conduct ourselves in this fashion? And what Detective Hardina told me was, basically, is you're lower on the rung than they are. They're, that's a doctor. Why would she put her career on the line? You guys are basically peons. So it's more likely that you would do it than them. I'm going to cut out what happens next because it's basically Tanya and Rick rehashing their side of the story. A lot of this is repetitive and it's stuff that you've already listened to on this podcast. If you're interested, though, I created a bonus episode with the content that didn't make it on this episode. You can find that on Patreon or Pretend Plus on Apple Podcasts. But let's get on with it because this tape is stellar. After their seven-minute rant filled with their crackerjack detective work, the judge seems to have enough. So what I'm hearing is... You want to go to trial and you want to take your chances. Am I getting that right? Yes, because I feel I feel that if I under oath said that I did something that I didn't do, I'm lying. And I know under oath you're supposed to tell the truth. And I'm not going to lie under oath and say I did something that I did not do. Understanding what the risks are. And if, if the jury doesn't believe you. I understand that. But the thing is. I did not do it, so I'm not going to tell a lie under oath and say that I did something I didn't do. Nia Bhatia with the state's prosecutor's office jumps in. We can't say who specifically sent every message, and we can't, because there's hundreds, Instagram accounts, emails, messages, text messages, there's a lot. And we can't say who hit send or drafted each one or any of them, because we know they're coming from you, and we know they're all coming from your home. Not you, but specifically from your home, but we can't say who drafted or sent them. She's talking about the accomplice liability, which means that an accomplice faces the same criminal liability and culpability as the person who committed the crime. In other words, they don't have to prove that Tanya and Rick hit send. They just have to prove that they helped or influenced the person who did with mens rea or criminal intent. So I think what you... At least what I heard you say is, well, I can't say I'm guilty or I can't take responsibility because I didn't do it. I don't have to prove that you specifically did it or that you specifically did it. I just have to prove that you aided in it. And here's the bombshell. The prosecutors say that they think they know who is sending these messages. The Fernandez's disabled daughter, Chelsea Fernandez. That's her pseudonym, by the way. And I have a belief that was a part of this, too. I made... The decision, I talked to our officers that it wasn't appropriate to go after someone with a diminished mental capacity, but I think that she had some part in this too. Maybe she helped draft some messages or had something, or maybe 
you helped her. I'm not sure. But again, with accomplice, it's one of the three of you and that you knew it was happening, that you provided the means or opportunity, that you aided, you were there. So I don't have to prove that you did it. It's that you knew it was happening and you promoted it and all of you worked together, essentially. That is the farthest from what happened. That is not true. I had nothing to do with it. I've got something to add to this. We had a uh, we had a six hour police stakeout at our house when we were getting threats, and the officer there, after six hours, they didn't know what was going on. At that time, we still thought it was the security guard, and they tested tablet because they, the officer in the house thought that maybe she was sending these texts. She willingly handed it over. Because she was, she was laughing. What my daughter was doing is watching YouTube videos and laughing because she was scared. She didn't want to be. Rick goes on for several more minutes trying to convince a judge of their innocence. But this is not a trial. This is a settlement conference. No, that's fine. Look, so my job today or my, my only role today is to find out if you were interested in a plea to explain to you that I do think there's a risk for you at trial. I've been listening to you. I've listened to everything you said, but there's a big risk for you to be convicted after trial. Judge Cohen is offering an opportunity here. Admit your guilt, do your probation, and the felony gets downgraded to a misdemeanor. That saves the court, the Fernandez's, a lot of time, money, and energy. But that's not the vibe that we're getting from the Fernandezes. They want to fight this thing. So, Judge Cohen offers them a third option. It's called diversion. I'm wondering, though, have you heard of diversion? Do you know what that is? No. Okay. So, diversion is something that the prosecutor's office can offer to folks that don't have any prior convictions. And it's a way to have it never be a conviction. You Sometimes they make you go to treatment or I don't know what you would do in a case like this. I think counseling or treatment. Counseling or treatment for X number of period of time. And then if you do all of that, it goes away. It gets dismissed. It's done. Over. The thing with diversion is I think they have to admit to something. There has to be a factual There has to be a factual basis for it. But it goes, it goes away. It's never a conviction. Um, it gets dismissed. Would that be something you would be interested in? She won't go ask unless you're interested in it. If you're interested in it, I can ask her to go ask for that. I'm not ready to make that decision because, like I said before, I don't want to plead to some. I don't want to plead guilty to something that I didn't do. You're not pleading. You're not pleading guilty. But we would have to build. We would have to provide facts that we were guilty. And like I told my attorney. Where am I going to pull this out of? The judge and the prosecutors are offering them a way out of this. A lifeline. Do they take it? Nope. Tanya Fernandez continues to debate the judge. What doesn't make sense is why would I go to the doctor if I was stalking her? Why would I go and tell her about all of these things that were happening? Why would I, why would I go and tell her if I was doing it? It is. I, I absolutely I hear you. And I think with the with the volume of evidence, I think the prosecutor's argument is going to be for attention. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, that's what the argument's going to be. Is it doing it for attention? 
Your Honor, may I take just one moment? Absolutely. The Fernandez's attorney must be thinking, are you freaking kidding me? Why do you continue arguing with the judge when they're offering you a deal? There's a lot of whispering in the background. After a minute of talking with their attorneys, Tanya has a change of heart. <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honor. It's all right. Okay. Well, um, I'm interested in considering the diversion. The judge then asked the state what they would need in order to make this offer. The prosecutor, Nia Batia, said that she had everything she needs. She just needs to check with Dr. Gresman and her husband to see if that's something that they're interested in. Ms. Batia said that she should have an answer by the end of the month. Can I answer anything else for you folks? I don't have anything else. Okay, sir. This is a, I, I can just say that this is something that we've endured for four years. And if I had anything else to say, we would be here for another four hours. Because Fair I've got so much, so much going, so much, you know, that has happened to us. So many reasons why we could not, we, any sane person didn't do it. would not do this to themselves. And there weren't, I don't and if I may, Your Honor, I'll just I'll just add it because I've mentioned this to my client before. Is that that's part of the challenge that we face at a jury trial? Is that there is just so much that is just that off. just this off that just doesn't make a lot of sense from both sides. That just doesn't make you know. I think there's a lot from both that will be presented at trial from both sides that just doesn't doesn't make sense, and that. Uh, you know, a, a typical juror off the street is going to say, well, I, I don't know what's happening here, but something is off and something just doesn't smell right. Well, the, here's the problem is that the typical juror that walks in off the street watches a lot of stupid television. And it all comes back to they originated from your IP address and the argument that it could have been hacked. I'm not so sure they're going to buy that. And so that's that's the biggest piece of evidence that the state has is that it came from your IP address. And then you followed up and finding a random Instagram account that was, you know, dummied. It, it just looks bad. And so my concern for you is that the jury's going to be like, yeah, this is weird, but you brought it on yourself. And if they do that and they convict you, the other thing that could happen is, after the ju a judge spends a lot of time in trial listening to all of this and how much aggravation it brought and if you're convicted and how much aggravation it brought to the victim. So the group, I, I still don't think you'd go to prison, but they could certainly give you some jail time. And I don't think you want that. But you've said you've been willing to think about diversion. I think that's a great course of action for you. Um, if the state can get it, I would encourage you to accept it. If you don't, it's your right to go to trial and I'll we'll make sure that you get a jury trial. So um, if I can be of assistance in any other way, please let me know. Okay, thanks folks. Thank you, Thank you. Okay, so that's the end of the tape. I don't know about you, but I found this incredibly insightful. So what happens next? Will the Fernandezes continue to dig in their heels or will they accept the plea deal? We'll find out soon enough. Right now, the trial is scheduled for December 6th, 
If it happens, I will definitely be there. I'll be doing daily podcasts, live videos on YouTube, you name it. But I don't know if it's going to happen. So what do you think? Knowing what you know now, basing it off what you heard today, do you think Tanya and Rick are willing to trust a jury with their side of the story? Do you think there's enough reasonable doubt? I guess we're just going to have to find out. Next time on Pretend, I'm going to play you what I originally was planning on playing you this week, which is a new series called The Red Collar Killer. It's pretty fascinating stuff. I think my true crime listeners are really going to geek out on that one. All right, that's it for today. I'll talk to you soon. Creative back.